from Rogers Arena, Carlinka, Knox Games. It is Brendan Bachelor, Bachelor, Bachelor. Eight oh three on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet six fifty. Halford and Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Accurate Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Accurate Dealer today. We are in hour three of the program. Brendan Batchelor is going to join us in just a moment here. Uh, hour three of Halford and Bruff is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet. What are you waiting for? Kintech. There you go. To the phone lines we go. Brendan Batchelor, play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks here. On the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Batch? Good morning. How are you guys? Uh, we're good. You must be good as well. Uh, that, as, as a play-by-play guy, it must be the zenith of your industry to be able to call as many highlight reel goals in a single game as you got to call yesterday. Yeah, it was uh, a fun game in general. You know, the, the highlight reel goals are, are great, but uh, I thought it was an entertaining game, back-and-forth game. You know, there was a a sequence of the second period, I feel like, where they went back and forth and had grade A chances at both ends of the ice for about a 30-second stretch. So uh, watching exciting hockey is, is you know, makes the job more interesting than anything else. And certainly when the Canucks are winning and winning in the way that they have been this year and scoring some of the goals like they scored last night, it, it does make it a lot of fun to do the job for sure. The, the two games between the Rangers and the Canucks this year have been maybe the two most entertaining games of the season. Yeah, well, I, I think I said that with you guys a few weeks ago that um, the Rangers, to me, in terms of just the head-to-head games with the Canucks from that first meeting had been the most impressive team that I thought Vancouver had faced. They were less impressive uh, last night, but nonetheless, that team is a, a very good team that could be a, a Stanley Cup contender. So to see the Canucks play as well as they did and, and the lotto line in particular dominate them like they did last night is is very encouraging for Canuck fans and for the hopes of this team going forward. Yeah, the refs uh, got the win in the first game when they when they try it when they when they screwed over the Canucks when they missed that obvious tripping call on Petey. And you know what? They did their best to screw the Canucks last night. They didn't even give the Canucks a single power play, but the Canucks were able to best both the Rangers and the referees. Why do you think the Canucks are not um, getting calls from the referees? Is it just one of those blips, or do they need to do something different? Do they need to start diving or something? They they don't seem to be getting many power plays though. Yeah, it's well. The, the last few games they haven't had many. Um, yeah, I, I I can't particularly remember. And correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but last night, I don't really feel like there were any hugely egregious no. missed calls there against weren't. the Canucks. There weren't. So, uh, you know, you can always do more to draw penalties. And I would generally say that if you've got the puck more, that's when you're you're drawing more penalties because you know you're you're pressuring other teams, you're hemming them in. You're, you're forcing them into situations where they're going to haul you down. But the Canucks have been doing that. So I, I would look at it more as either a, a blip or potentially just, you know, now that we're into the second half of the season, it wouldn't surprise me if the way games are called changes a little bit where things tighten up and it more resembles playoff hockey where, you know, you're not going to get five or six power plays in a game and, that kind of surprised me looking back at that first Ranger game is 
the big difference in that game when, you know, not just the, the blown call in overtime, but the Rangers had six power plays in that game. And conversely, the Canucks gave them two power plays last night. So whether that's, you know, the Canucks becoming gradually more disciplined as the season has gone on, obviously their penalty kill has gotten a lot better. So that's a, a big factor too, or whether it's just the, the game tightening up and, you know, officials not calling quite as much as they did early in the year, I'm not sure. But, you know, the, the positive thing from a Canucks perspective is that they have more five-on-five goals than any other team in the league right now. So they aren't a team like the Rangers that does a lot of their work on the power play. And if they're in a game where they aren't going to get a lot of man advantages, for the most part, that hasn't mattered for this team this season. Um, the lotto line, is it sustainable to keep these guys together, I don't know, forever? <laughs> it. <laughs> It depends more on the rest of the lineup than it does on the lotto line. Like in a vacuum with the way these guys are produced, you would say, absolutely, you have to keep them together. You can't pull them apart. But to me, it's more about, you know, that Mikheyev, Suter, Kuzmenko line and whether they can keep their heads above water enough that you feel okay about the rest of the lineup. Obviously the, the Bluger line has played much better than I think any of us reasonably expected the Canucks third line to play to the point where you could actually argue that they're the Canucks second best line. Now, I think now that you've, uh, you've put the lotto line together. So I look at that suitor line and I say, okay, can those guys, you know, not, be a a detriment on the ice and for the most part they haven't been through the the first couple of games of this experiment I would imagine that you know if they have a a trade deadline wish list someone that can kind of anchor that second line and drive play on it might be at the top of that list because then you can keep those three guys together for you know the the foreseeable future if you want to anyway and you don't have to worry about what that second line looks like but you know I I think it's what it is more that I look at is that they have the option to do both. And in a potential playoff series, if you need to load up your top line, you need to go to the lotto line because you need a goal late in the game or something like that. It it might work more situationally, um, but it's going to, you know, it'll be more about the rest of the Canucks lineup and what they do prior to the deadline and, what things look like on the second and third line that's going to determine their ability to keep those guys together or not. But for now, it's working very well. They've won a couple of games and look pretty good doing it. Um, Batch, the Canucks will play their 41st game tonight against the New York Islanders. Uh, That's the halfway mark of the season. Um, We were talking earlier in the show, and I was saying how I'm still in a constant state of amazement that the Canucks have turned it around to the degree that they have. Um, Is it starting to normalize for you at all, or are you still pretty shocked at the turnaround? Uh, I am. It is starting to normalize in the sense that on a game-to-game basis, you now expect the Canucks to be in every game or have a chance to win every game. But that took a while. Uh, and I think now that we reach the, the halfway mark tonight, that is kind of an important marker for me because I think a lot of people that, you know, have followed this team over the last few years at the very least, uh, were waiting for the other shoe to drop in terms of the strong start and how well they were playing and how many games they were winning and how many goals they were scoring. And now that you're at the halfway mark of the season, Plus add the, you know, the second half of the season last year where Rick Tockett came in and they were a winning team since he arrived. And this is a large sample size now where you can say, okay, this wasn't just a strong start. 
This wasn't just a, a blip. This is sustainable. The way they are playing and the way they have performed, to me, you know, maybe they're not going to reach the same heights that they did in the first half and the second half, but they would have to have an utter collapse for things to go pear-shaped. So, um, you know, as long as they can stay healthy, as long as their top players are in the lineup on a night-to-night basis, then we have to start talking about this team in terms of Stanley Cup contention as opposed to playoff contention as they continue to rattle off points and, and be up there with the top teams in the league. And that part remains surprising to me that this isn't just, oh, you know, the Canucks are going to make the playoffs this year and how are they going to do in the playoffs? Now we can start talking about can they win the division? Will they have home ice advantage? Uh, and, and these are things that I did not expect in a million years coming into this season. So full credit to Rick Tockett and full credit to the group, uh, the management group and, and the players on the ice and in that dressing room because they've done a tremendous job for one of the most memorable turnarounds that I can remember in recent history in the NHL. You know, obviously the St. Louis Blues turnaround in season to go from being you know near the bottom of the league to winning the Stanley Cup in the same year was incredibly impressive. But in terms of a year-to-year transition from being a, a bottom feeder one year to being potentially a legitimate Stanley Cup contender the next year, uh, you know, you guys can, you know, if you've got any other comparables, bring them to me now. But I, I can't remember anything like this, quite like this, in recent years. No, I don't have a comp at the ready. I did have a question for you, though, Batch. It's one Bruff keeps asking me. I don't have the answer to it, but you're the expert and the professional. So I'm going to ask you. <laughs> if the first, I doubt def- I have the answer. No, I bet you Are do. you volunteering? The first defensive pairing is obviously Hughes and Hronik. If you had to identify as who the second pairing would be, which pair is it? Uh, yeah, I don't. I think it's probably two A and two B, um, right. and it it'll kind of depend on how they settle into deploying these guys now that they're all healthy. And you know, Rick Tockett has kind of hinted at a rotation, so we'll see if um, you know guys like Zadorov or Myers actually do get pulled out of the lineup at any point. Um, but I would say that, yeah, it's probably a two a and two B situation. If I had to choose, I'd probably go Susie Myers just because I think, um, you talk, it has trusted them a little bit more over the course of the season. And it's clear that Zadorov isn't hitting the heights that they expected him to since he arrived. So, um, you know, that's, that's where I'd go with that. And, you know, Myers, is still one of the, I think he's sixth on the team in minutes. So he's including forwards. So he's still up there, still gets, you know, 19 minutes a night or somewhere like that. So that's where I would go. But I I think it's a a tight race and it's one of those rankings that could change at any moment based on how they choose to deploy those guys. I think if they went with Cole and Myers on the same pairing and moved Susie or Zadorov to the right side, then I would say absolutely Cole and Myers would be that second pairing, but you know, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing. I was thinking about this yesterday too. Yeah. How quickly this management group has made over this blue line yep. is, is one of the big reasons why they're so successful. You know, Carson Susi, Ian Cole, Philip Heronik, um, Nikita Zadorov. None of these guys were here last year at the start of the season. And you know, it's, it's, four NHL defensemen that they brought in and really changed the complexion of this team's blue line and the way that they defend as a result. We're speaking to Brandon Batchelor, play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks. Sorry. 
Play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks here on the Alfred and Brock Show. On meticulous. Sports. Meticulously delivered. I just coughed. That's all. It's not, it's not my fault. Um, I'm, you know what I'm actually trying to do now is I'm trying to find the six defensemen that played for the Vancouver Canucks at the end of the 2022 season. Yeah, so this is what the blue line looked like back then. So Hughes, obviously. Oliver, Oliver ekman Larson gone. Myers is there. Brad Hunt. Luke Shen. Yeah, wow. This is It is a dramatic overhaul when you take a step back and realize that 18 months ago, there was about half or maybe even less of what the current blue line looks like. And that's a major task and a major compliment to this executive group because we always thought that fixing and finding new blue liners was going to be the most difficult thing. It is difficult, but they've really handled it well and done a remarkable job in a short period of time. No, they have. And, you know, we've seen a lot of turnover on the Canuck blue line over the last few years, not necessarily for the better until now. But, you know, I, I think the one thing that the Canucks have to be really credited for is their pro scouting and their assessment of players to come in and fit Rick Tockett's system and play the way that they need to to have success. But, not guys that they've drafted or guys that they've developed necessarily guys that they've targeted through trades or free agency. And that doesn't just apply to, you know, the four defensemen we're talking about here, but look at Pew Suter, look at Teddy Bluger, look at Dakota Joshua, look at the years these guys are having and how integral all three of them are to the Canucks success. Um, so, you know, not just the blue line, although I think that's the, the area of the team where it's most obvious that they've been able to make a material difference, but, the depth players that they've targeted and brought in have turned this team from, you know, a, a club where we always talked about their top end players are great, but it's their bottom six that's always underwater and lets them down. Now that's not the case. Now they're a team that, you know, can roll three lines at the very least, if not four, and feel confident about how they're going to play. And that's a, a long way away from where they were. 18 months ago, as you alluded to. Based on what you knew of them prior to joining the team this offseason and then what you've seen since, who's been the more surprising contributor in a positive sense, uh, Bluger or Suter? Bluger, I think. Um, Just because of the offense that that line has started to put up. Like, we knew Pew Suter was capable of offense. He scored at least 14 goals uh, in every season he's played in the NHL. So you knew there was a bottom line there with him and I you know coming into the year sort of thought okay Suter will be the third line center Bluger will be the fourth line center he'll play down the lineup he'll be a penalty kill specialist and you're not expecting a ton of offense from him because historically he doesn't score a whole lot uh well that line you know continues to drive play continues to put the puck in the back of the net or at least recently they have and he is a part of that you know it's uh, obviously I think Garland is the play driver on that line and Joshua is sort of the, the big body physical presence, but Bluger complements both of them very well and, you know, continues to impress for me on a game to game basis where, you know, that is a line that Rick Tockett has basically refused to break up regardless of what else has been happening up or down the lineup because of how consistent they've been. And, you know, I think it was a few days ago he was asked about that and, and talked about the fact that last year when he tried Joshua up the lineup, it kind of, he felt, affected Joshua's game. And, 
Uh, he might have been better to leave him in the spot that he was in the lineup. So with those three guys going so well and Bluger being a big part of that, you can understand why he doesn't want to break them up. And let's be honest, the strong play of that line is part of the reason why Tockett was able to go to the lotto line over the last couple of games and have the success that they have. Batch, you're the best, man. See, I had all these questions I wanted to ask. I didn't know the answers to him. Batch had the answers. That's why He always has the answers. Thanks for doing this today, bud. Have a good call tonight. Sounds good. Thanks, boys. Appreciate it. That's uh, Brendan Batchelor, play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. See, I said it. I didn't choke over it this time. Yeah, that's good. Play-by-play voice. That was a literal choke. I I I choked. I choked. Uh, I'm going to start off with a what we learned. And my what we learned is I now have no idea where Michael Penix Jr. is going to get drafted. I don't think anyone does. Uh, Finally talk about the NCAA Football National Championship. Yeah. So Michael Penix Jr. had the game of his life, the game of his career in the semifinal against Texas. He was unbelievable. Uh, He was um, accurate. He made some great throws. He made some plays with his feet. He was terrific. And I think he moved up a lot of draft boards after that Longhorns game. I think he moved back down them after his performance yesterday against Michigan. And credit to the Wolverines uh, for playing a really good game. Uh, you know, as Moj would say, they controlled the line of scrimmage. Yeah. Um, you know, they it was ran a tough night. Though, they ran. Mechanics. They ran the ball down uh, the Huskies' throat, uh, and they also made it really tough on Michael Penix, who was definitely injured. Right, like he was. He was all sorts of injured. The Huskies were injured. Not using it. As an excuse, the Wolverines deserve to win that game. But I did feel after that game, I was like, mm, the Huskies could have played better. You know, they just, they did, they, and, and uh, a bunch of the players were saying it afterwards. They were like, it just didn't click for us. And frankly, Michael Penix Jr., um, if you're just joining this Huskies story, like maybe you're like, oh, I'll start watching them in the semifinals. And you're like, wow, this Penix Jr. guy, who was a, he was a Heisman finalist. Uh, he played that well against Longhorns. He must have been great all season. No, he had some tough games. And there were games where he was sailing the ball. There was games where he wasn't accurate. Go look at his game log. There were games, you know, he had a tough game against Arizona State where he threw no touchdowns and two picks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... He's just a really interesting draft prospect because you see the good things, you know, that game against Texas and all the good games he did have to, you know, lead his undefeated team into the national title game against another undefeated team. And you also see his leadership. You know, I think he's a really mature guy who's been through a lot in his college career. He had four season-ending injuries when he played in Indiana. But th- but that's and then there's the downside, which is maybe some inconsistency, and uh, also his injury history. Like you see him out there, and he's got like the knee brace on, and he does look older than most of the other quarterbacks out there. Like, he looked 10 years older than J.J. McCarthy, the quarterback for the Michigan Wolverines. So uh, I guess congratulations to Quinn Hughes' Michigan Wolverines on the national title game. I think this draft overall is going to be fascinating from the quarterback position because it's not just the Penix Jr. decision. It's which quarterback goes first overall. Is it going to be Caleb Williams for sure? And where is he going to go? Right. The Chicago Bears have a fascinating decision to make, whether they go quarterback or they trade the pick, the first overall pick, keep Justin Fields, and load up on the rest of the team. Um, 
and you know, are the Washington Commanders going to get Caleb Williams? Where's Drake May going to go? The actual Heisman Trophy winner was Jaden Daniels. Where's he going to go? Yeah, so the mock draft festivities are now officially underway because on Sunday it was the final week of the NFL regular yeah. season, so the draft order is set. And they're all over the map. Yep. I, I read a mock draft yesterday that had Penix Jr. going eighth overall to Atlanta. Yep. I'm reading one right now. He's not even in the first round. Well, there's a lot of teams that think he's a day two guy, that he won't be taken in the yeah. first round at all. And J.J. McCarthy is the same way, right? Yeah, and then there's other people that are saying that with his arm talent, he could be a top 10 pick. The interesting thing is that the ceiling is so high because his name was bandied about with two guys in particular this year. And one was Joe Burrow because Penix Jr. against Texas, that was the most yards a quarterback has ever thrown for in the college football playoff, second only to Joe Burrow. Mm -hmm. The other guy that he's been in the same breath with is Patrick Mahomes because he's the first quarterback in college to throw for over 4,500 yards in back-to-back seasons, first guy since Mahomes. So when you talk about those two, there's reasons why Penix is considered like maybe he'll go in the top 10. But then you look at all the other stuff. He's going to be 24 years old. He's had really bad knee injuries, you know, and you're not sure um, how accurate he can be at the next level. He might be a guy that if the Seahawks are interested, they might be able to target in the second round if he falls that far. What did you think about the Huskies' performance? Flat. They got steamrolled. I mean, everyone was saying, oh, I saw people complaining about how poorly that the Huskies played on offense. I saw a bunch of people complaining about the officiating, and I do think there's some merit to that because I think there's a bit of a ticky-tack holding call. I think that holding was not consistent throughout the game. Yeah. Whatever. Um, There's one real basic story to that game is that the Wolverines ran for 300 yards. Yeah. End of story. It's kind of hard to win. when you. How are you going to win? <laughs> they ran for 300 yards. I actually can't believe it was as close as it was heading into the second half. Yeah, they, just considering, steam, they just got steamrolled. Yeah. They just got steamrolled. And mm-hmm. it's all the things that come along with that. Your defense gets tired and worn down. Your offense can't get into rhythm because it's not on the field. All of it happens. Can we talk about how cheesy Jim Harbaugh is? You didn't. He you didn't. Is, you yeah. didn't watch his. his, his I, I saw every, I saw the clip on Twitter when he was looking at the uh, confetti uh, falling, and you know there's thousands of pieces of confetti, and he looks up at it and he goes, the, the, "Each piece of confetti represents a story." I'm yeah. like, "No, nope, it's just it's just confetti. <laughs> it's not as philosophical as as you think it is." I, I wonder where he's going to end up. I, I could see him leaving Michigan. Oh, he's leaving Michigan. Yeah, like he. You he, can't go back and face all those crimes. You have to get out of there. <laughs> I'm out of here. I don't know. So the Chargers. That one keeps popping up. Yeah. But the thing is, this off season for the NFL hasn't been written yet because I still think there's coaching changes to come in in the in the next few days. I think that there's for sure and there I, could be some playoff teams that fire. Yeah, the like I don't yeah, I don't think we're anywhere close to having all of the vacancies and all the pieces on the chessboard having finally yeah. moved. Like I think that there's a lot more to come. This Belichick thing in New England. Mm-hmm. If you listen to enough insiders who clearly have no idea what they're talking about, they're just guessing, but if you listen to enough of them, they all have the same vibe that it's ending. I know we got to get, get to break, but I did listen to uh, Pete Carroll on Seattle Sports Radio uh, yesterday, and he was extremely optimistic, as he normally is. Um, he blamed a lot of the Seahawks' issues on youth. He said, we played like a young team, but he was very optimistic that with the experience that heading into next season, um, if he's still the coach, 
that that will no longer be an issue. They won't play like such a young team. But I kind of wonder also if he threw his defensive coordinator under the bus in Clint Hurt because he said the one thing that we didn't do was adjust on defense. We didn't make enough adjustments on defense in order to solve the issue of stopping the run, which they certainly didn't do. So a few things to keep of note um, to monitor with the Seahawks situation. Uh, get your what we learned into the Dunbar Lumber text line. We do have tickets to a uh, 32 Thoughts taping in Victoria on the line. So if you can make that taping, uh, use the ticket emoji when sending in your what we learned. So you're listening to the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. Hitting the most important topics for Vancouver sports fans. The People's Show with Vic Nazar. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now for my favorite part of the show. What did I say? Talk to the audience. Oh, God, this is always dead. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. On the show. 8.33 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruv, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruv of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Accurate dealer today. We are in Hour 3 of the program. Hour 3 is brought to you by Campbell & Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell & Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. All right. What we learned, we're about to get to the humanoids. We're about to give away tickets to see the 32 Thoughts live show. Before we do that, Laddie, better known as Greg Ballack, better known as Laddie. Am I better known as Greg You're better known as Laddie. (laughs) Uh, You have what we learned. Not only is it sports, it's hockey. Not only is it hockey, it's of the NHL variety. And not only is it about the NHL, it's about the Vancouver Canucks. Laddie, I'm excited. It's not even about a goalie either. It's not about Ken Appleby. It's, it's about Oliver Ekman Larson, my friends. Whoa. I know we've been following him a little bit with his ice time that he's been getting with the Panthers, but he scored in that 8-4 win over the Avs on the weekend to give him eight on the season in 39 games. That's more than he had his entire time in Vancouver. OEL has eight goals. He has right? eight goals. He's back. Good for him. Man. Hey, uh, okay, don't look at don't look at any websites. How old do you think OEL is? 32. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. He seems older. It's like he's been through. He's been, he's through, been through a, a lot. lot. <laughs> he's been through a lot. His knees are sixty. Yeah, Oliver Ekman is fifty-one yeah. years old. He's a pending UFA. He might get. He might get paid. The pending UFA list is actually pretty interesting because Sam Reinhart is on it. Jake Gensel, Steven Stamkos. Yeah. Um, there's some pretty good players on it. You know, I don't know if there's any. Reinhardt is doing the uh, William Nylander where it's like, ah, it's time to get paid. Let's go get paid. Yeah. He is just racking up goals. Panthers are a weird team. When you look at their stats, mm-hmm. like, they're good, but I don't know what to make of them. I mean... Like, are the Flames ever going to deal with their UFAs? Or they no, just they're gonna just like... going to let the clock run out. Like, you know what? This worked with Gaudreau. We'll just do it again this time. The right? best thing to I've do with I've just completely forgotten just... about Elias Lindholm. I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah, that guy. You know? Well, they are running up against the worst case scenario which is you get closer and closer to the deadline and you're not officially in the playoffs and you're not officially out. 
They're they're veering on out though. Like. They're like one point out. Are they really? Yeah. Okay. Look at the standings. They're like they're like one or two points out. That that mushy middle is very mushy. So the here's the thing. Noah Hannafin still a pending UFA. If you're gonna keep the, if you're gonna keep those guys and say we're making a run, then you have to you know be in the playoffs. So I can understand it if they're in. Then I'm like, yeah, for sure. But if you're on the fringes where you might, the worst case scenario is you miss and those guys walk. Well, how do you have the confidence to say, let's go with it with this core when you're barely even a playoff? Like Money Puck is giving the Flames a 19% chance of making the playoffs. Yeah. Marky will have to have an insane run to even get them close. Mm -hmm. He's having a good year, though, isn't he? He is. Yeah. And and to the Panthers as well. Do you think they could trade him? Uh, they should. Everybody. Yeah, they should because they have Dustin Wolf waiting. But mm-hmm. uh, the Panthers' goaltending situation also interesting. Stolarz outplaying Bobrovsky, and I love Stolarz. I think Stolarz is a, a great option to have. But do they start playing Stolarz more than Bobrovsky? We'll see. Okay, Mukow that. Uh, I'm gonna do <laughs> what we learned about basketball, just all of it at once. Just a quick NBA whip around of so, all these major stories about the league that we never talk about. Bad injuries last night to begin. John Morant done for the year with a shoulder injury from Memphis. Now that one maybe not a massive deal because the Grizzly season was pretty much to- toast anyway, right. right? But he is an individual story. He had the suspension. He came back. He kind of lit it up, and now he's hurt. Done for the year. He's going to have a lot of time on his hands. A lot of time. Stay off Instagram Live, dude. Just okay. don't do that. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton. Have to go there, hey? What? what, what, what? Yeah. Why, yeah, I'm the only person on the planet making that joke right now. Yeah. Tyrese Halliburton, uh, who is a all-star for the Indiana Pacers, blew up during the in-season tournament, also blew up his left hamstring yesterday. Oh. It was bad. Like, it was one of those really uncomfortable splits. Mm. You know, you, there's a wet spot on the floor. Psst, gone. So he's going to be out for a while as well. That looked very painful. And finally... We almost lost Draymond Green. We almost lost him. So you know how he was uh, on. He was suspended for the last twelve games. Mm-hmm. Well, he's been activated now. He's on okay. a. Condi- he's doing some conditioning to get back into game shape. Was he given? He, uh, I thought he was. Susp- was he suspended indefinitely? Yeah, so then after twelve games, they act <laughs> like we got to put a number on this. You know what? We'll we'll let you go. We'll let you play. <laughs> he had a meeting with Adam Silver. Mm-hmm. Not to be confused with nine zero two one zero star David Silver, which I often do on this show. Mm-hmm. Um, Draymond told. Adam Silver, that it just got to be too much. The drama, the suspensions, the anger inside, and he wanted to retire. Oh, really? Guess who talked Draymond out of retirement? Here's the clip. I had a conversation with Adam Silver, commissioner of our league. I just told him, Adam, it's too much for me. Like, this is too much. It's all becoming too much for me, and I'm going to retire. And Adam said, ah, you're making a very rash decision. And I won't let you do that. You know, we had a long, great conversation. Very helpful to me. Wesley. Very thankful uh, to play in a league with a commissioner like Adam, uh, who's more about helping you than hurting you or helping you than punishing you. Or, you know, he's more about the player. My favorite part of that entire clip where he, he goes, and then I had a meeting with Adam. Yeah. Silver, our commissioner. As if I expect him to be like, I had a meeting with Adam. Godette. West. Former Canuck. <laughs> <laughs> 
He's a good guy. Yeah. Talk, I, to, talk to me into uh, keep playing. That's right. He's very get, motivational. Give me some crystals yeah, or something. Right. I don't know. He it's just, weird. I put a bag of sage around my neck, and I decided to come back and play basketball. <laughs> There's some deep cuts in that conversation, folks. Anyway, uh, Draymond's back. Mook, how that? Let's fire up the dot matrix. What we learned, Humanoid Edition, is brought to you by Get Fire Plan. Protect what matters most with comprehensive fire safety plans, monthly audits, and risk mitigation at $200 off. Visit them at getfireplan.com. Oh, my God! We're having a fire plan! So despite all the parameters that we've put on the 32 Thoughts live show, like, there's 18 rules involved mm-hmm. with winning. One, there's a criminal background check that you have to you have to pass. You First, have to, you must answer us these questions. Three, <laughs> you have to give a pint of blood for no reason. Just we want it. Um, so one, for each one, for each one, one, it keeps the young focus. One, you have to be in Victoria, and if you're not in Victoria, you have to be willing to make the trek. You can't get these tickets and then scalp them or sell them on. Facebook marketplace. We will find you. We and will track find you. you down. Yeah, right. Uh, two, it tapes at two o'clock in the afternoon. So that rules out a lot of you that have, you know, jobs. Anyway, despite all of <laughs> Is this, it on a weekday? It's a Thursday. Okay. Yeah. I, I you know, I I don't I don't know who was who in the promotions department put this bad boy together. But that's when you're in the, that's when, person in the inbox pointed out Wicked Hall is part of an old folks home. I or think something. that's a joke. I so hope two o'clock is actually late for them. Yeah, I I don't know what's going on other than we're trying to give away tickets to this thing. So. I like I like how your phone, by the way, is uh, turn off all noti- notifications. And it's like two o'clock in the afternoon because you're sleeping. Yeah, I like the idea of the recording in the. In I the like the idea of, the of them recording in the lobby of a retirement community, though. That would be yeah. very funny. What did he say? So, despite <laughs> everything we've just said. So many people are still putting their name in for the tickets, and it sounds like they can all go. They're all willing to do this, so good on all of you. But today's winner is Mark from White Rock. Now, before I announce that White Rock is indeed far away from Victoria, Mark is committed to going. Okay, He says that uh, he'd love to go see the 32 Thoughts live show because it would also give him a reason to visit his family in Victoria Mm -hmm. that he's been meaning to see for years. So that's nice for them. They're also at the old yeah. folks' home at Wicked Hall. <laughs> He's been meaning to see them for years. It's it's impossible to get to the island. <laughs> yeah. But now I have a reason. It's to see Elliot Friedman. <laughs> and Kevin Bieksa. Yeah, right. And Brian Burke. Anyway, uh, Mark writes, hashtag WWO what we learned. Uh, the Canucks' awesome start to the season got me looking back at the 2011 team to compare. What I learned about the best Canucks team ever assembled wasn't the record, wasn't the individual stats. It was that we had a defenseman named Lee Sweat play three games that year. Who the hell was Lee Sweat? Mark, I cannot believe that you were besmirching the name of yeah. Canucks legend Lee Sweat. Lee Sweat was a curtain blog favorite. There was a there was a Lee Sweat bandwagon that we started because he was piling up points in the AHL and we wanted to see him. Uh, a diminutive mm-hmm. defenseman. Maybe ahead of his time, because guys his size and the way that he played would probably be more commonplace in the NHL now. Totally, yeah. But back then, no. Uh, played three games, scored a goal, and I believe it was a winner in his first game. Mm-hmm. Um, the legend of Lee Sweat. His brother, Bill Sweat, also played in the NHL. Wait, so there's Lee and Billy? Yeah, and then his other brother, Keith, was an R&B <laughs> sensation. <laughs> I've used that joke a number of times. Anyway, uh, during the pandemic, when we had nothing to do... And for some reason, they kept putting us on the air until they fired us. Um, we we got a hold of Lee Sweat. 
Because we went, we did sort of like the folk heroes. Right, yeah, yeah. The forgotten, unsung, mm-hmm. oh yeah, that guy type Canucks. We made Aaron Rome cry. Yeah, that wasn't great. <laughs> that was pretty great. Sorry. Spoiler, he's still broken up by 2011. <laughs> Trust me. Um, but we got a hold of Lee Sweat. He's like a financial advisor now. Well, what happened mm. to his career? I don't know anything about him. And he just dropped off after he played for the Canucks. And then the next year he was done with he hockey. Basically he, had the Wall, it, he had the Wall Street bug. Yeah. But he also, I think he he kind of alluded to it in that phone call, what I remember was, he knew he had no shot of an NHL career. It wasn't going to happen. He played three games that year. He did play three games. Mm-hmm. Those were the only three games he ever played. Yeah. That was it. And then two points in those three games. Why are you like, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, so high. Lee Sweat. I'm, I'm incredulous I'm that Lee Sweat does not. You, I'm telling you what Lee Sweat, the person told me, the interviewer about this. this like, like, you're, you're like a dog. I demand answers. me about tennis players. Uh, yeah. Source, like, please. John McEnroe. <laughs> what kind of name is Bjorn well, Borg? Who, who goes from a two points in three games? And then the next year they don't even play hockey. I will answer. The crux of it was he felt he could make more money because he was, I guess, uh, pretty deep into the financial advising world to begin with, and he yeah. felt he could make more money doing that than playing in the American League. He can't be game a financial advisor and advise himself. <laughs> 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 Buddy, you're going to be making thirty thousand a year yeah. in the AHL here. What, Get pretty, out of this. Pretty I good, took the advice from myself. Advice. Yeah, pretty good advice. Financial good advisor advice. Lee Sweat here. Okay. Anyway, have we done all the printing off the submissions? Anyway? We have. Okay. We, yeah, we gave away the tickets. So, congrats to Mark in White Rock. I'm sure your family is thrilled. That if you're not seeing him for a while, you're going to go to see Merrick. Uh, Lincoln in Surrey. I really like this, what we learned. This okay. was a smart one. What we learned, despite Petey and Miller's skill, the lotto line success depends on Besser. He wasn't going the past few years, and it didn't work. Now that he's going this year, it's one of the best lines in hockey. I mean, there probably is some truth to that take. Mm-hmm. Brock Besser... When you put him with Miller and 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 Petey, and I also think like defensively, he he wasn't trusted. Um, he's playing well, and he's finishing these those opportunities. You know, again, I, I said this earlier in the show. Um, the Petey goal, the individual goal, was incredible, and still was, so was the Hoaglander goal. Mm-hmm. But I really liked the Besser goal. You got a quick stretch pass from Hughes up the wall to Petey. Uh, he he does the zone entry. Um, and then Besser just blows right by him and the Rangers defenseman. Yeah. And PD has to really make a good play to both protect the puck and then give Besser the saucer pass. Like that was really smart offensive counterattack hockey where you catch the other team sleeping a little bit and you catch the other team skating the wrong way. Uh, so Besser is now dropped to fifth in goals in the NHL. I, can't, I know. By the way, you know who he's tied with? That just kind of came out of nowhere. I didn't realize this. Zach Hyman has 25 goals. Yeah, he's he's a good player, man. No, I know he's yeah, a good player, he's a but good it's player. like I just they were they got off to such a lousy start and no one was really going. And all of a sudden Hyman's yeah. up there. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the goal scoring list is serious, right? Reinhardt's two back of Matthews for first. Mm-hmm. Carter Verhage's in the top ten. Actually, you know, you know who else is having a for by his standard, like he's a, a tremendous player, but Sidney Crosby's having a really good goal scoring. Sid is having a really good yeah. season. Yeah. Uh, Sid always has good seasons. No, but goal scoring. So consistent, though. Goal scoring. Chet and Burnaby, what we learned, I learned that Penix suffered from projectile dysfunction last night. (laughs) I get it. I get it. Yeah, he was. That's a Penix joke. I'll add what you should. Chet Chet should have added, uh, he was sailing balls all night. That's a good one. The ball was really sailing on him. He didn't rise to the occasion? No. 
He didn't, no. Yeah, a little flaccid. He's Dr. Juan Pop. from Comox, what I learned. I don't know if I was watching the Seahawks defense or the Huskies last night. I will give the credit. <laughs> I will credit the Huskies for actually adjusting. That's a good text. You know, like the, the Huskies actually did make some great defensive adjustments. Sure. But they got run on for 300 yards. But they adjusted. Uh, you mentioned earlier Clint Hurt. I expect both um, both coordinators to go. Shane Waldron as well? I think Sean, Shane Waldron's got to go. Was that just based on something you heard, or I well, I well, do you have some sources or, within. The, I, does Jody Allen text you? Yeah, Jodes. <laughs> What's up? No, I don't. Need some more money. I don't have. Yeah, desperately. I don't have any. Um, don't have any sources. But I heard the thing from Babino I mentioned in the post game show, and then I did a bunch of reading afterwards. Right. A few like outlets that I trust mm-hmm. or think have good information all sort of suggested that the offense it, did have too many weapons to be as mediocre as it was. I thought it was a huge disappointment. Yeah. I thought that receiving core one through three mm-hmm. um, could have been far more dynamic than it was. Also, what happened to Jake Bobo? He seemed like he was an emerging weapon in that offense. Right. What, what does do the tight ends do anything in that? offense? I was watching Washington yesterday. I love mm-hmm. the tight end play there. Got to be a better way to say that, but yeah, yeah, he's great. Yeah, he, he is. barely played football. Just kind of picked it up in college. I hate those guys I too. Know, they're the worst. <laughs> go back and if you go read. They're Josh. always tight ends too that go from basketball to football. Right? Read Josh they got the Allen. size and they got. We the were hands. talking about Josh Allen yesterday. Go look at when Josh Allen before he went to Wyoming. Mm-hmm. Like part of the reason he wasn't a very heavily recruited football player is because he was an awesome baseball player, right? He's like, well, if the professional football thing doesn't work out, I could always be a professional Major League Baseball pitcher, right? Uh, what we learned on sign, Mika Zabanajed has a lot of hair. Yeah. He is a vampire. Did you know that? That's true. He has he all He looks the like hair. a vampire. And Panarin has none of the hair. Mm-hmm. Panarin's just, that, that was just the big thing in the offseason. He shaved right. his head. Now he's he's atop the, uh, whereas he's got 26. He's one ahead of Besser on the goal scoring chart. Panarin's having a great season. Yeah. Uh, Chayton and Surrey, what we learned, the contract I'm most intrigued to see next, given Nylander's extension, is Sam Reinhardt. I think he's better defensively while st- still adding needed offense than Nylander and think he'd be a great addition to the Canucks. If he reached UFA, but now that seems very unlikely. Yeah, I don't think the Canucks are going to be able to fit in Sam Reinhardt. He is going to get paid. I'm really going to be curious to see um, how a lot of these free agents, and that includes Pedersen as an RFA, mm-hmm. how they do they go for the long-term deals, like the max term deals, or do they look at the NHL and go, it's been a flat cap for a while. We're expecting pretty significant growth in the salary cap in the next three years. Why don't I sign a short-term deal and then really cash in? But you have to bet big on yourself for that. That's risky. Mm-hmm. Who was the defenseman? Uh, God, his name, name is escaping me. He went from Dallas to Anaheim and then Klingberg? Tr- Klingberg, right? Like he had that deal on the table. Yep. And he was like, no. Do you think he wakes up every morning and he's like, Damn it! Yeah. Also, my knees are killing me. Also, that <laughs> yeah. right. That's the thing, though. Like he wasn't a particularly old guy, but you get an injury, and all of a sudden things change. Uh, unsigned, so it must be from Gary. Hashtag WWL. What we learned. In addition to being a Penguins fan, Cutter Goche must be a Cowboys fan because he doesn't want anything to do with Philly. Yeah. So we talked about this earlier, and we didn't really 
um, lay out the story in full. I feel like we might have shortchanged some of the listeners who didn't really understand the full context of the story. So real quick, because we're right up against it for time. Uh, the cutter Goche trade that happened yesterday because he didn't want to play in Philly. He went to Anaheim. There were some serious insinuations, people saying it just straight out loud, that the connection was that Kevin Hayes, who obviously had a really rough time in Philly and was traded to St. Louis, um, was the one that sort of poisoned the well for Goche because him and Goche became really close after he was drafted Mm -hmm. because Cutter Goche is a Boston College guy just like Kevin Hayes. And there's a podcast out there, level of spit and chicklets reaching out for comment. They are now like the definitive journalistic source in hockey media. And Hayes denied any sort of allegations that he got involved, but it just adds another wrinkle to this. I know this. Whenever Cutter Goche eventually does play in Philadelphia, it is going to be a bloodbath because everyone, not just the fans, you can tell everyone in that organization is like, you can maybe do this to some organizations and you can maybe do this to some cities. You should not do it to Philly. Don't do it to Philly. Like you should not have done this to Philly. And I probably won't disagree Mm -hmm. because this is, this is a different ball of wax, a different kettle of fish that they're talking about. (laughs) Do you think he was like, please trade me to the Western Conference? Like Wish said that, oh, this kid clearly (laughs) understands what he's doing. I almost wanted to yell out. I don't think he does. I think that, and there's a whole. But you only have to go if you play for Anaheim. You only have to go to Philly once. Yeah, that's once true. is enough, though. But I, I, well, the other thing is when he said he didn't want to play for Philly, I know that he wanted to play in, but he also wanted to play for a bunch of other teams. Mm-hmm. They had a list. I wonder what it is. I wonder what it was about Philly. I think it was. I'd be pretty excited to play for an organization like the Flyers think, with their history. Well, he hated, he hated okay. the Rocky movies. So the theories that are out hated there. Them. Torts isn't going to be the coach forever. That's right. So the other theory that's out there is that he was upset that they didn't fast track him to the NHL and sign him right away. Oh, I see. That they sent him to BC and that there wasn't even this idea that, you know, after the Worlds last year where he went and played really well, he's like, I want to go to the NHL. Maybe he had a bad cheesesteak as a child. That could also be it. There's so many theories out there. Somebody needs to get in this. Uh, I want to read this one last text before we have to go. Uh, it's not on what we learn, but Timbo sent it in and he said, I hope this is accurate. But he said, 365 days ago yesterday, we, as in the Canucks, played the Jets and lost seven to four. Miller screamed at Colin Delia to get back to the bench. Hughes played 27 minutes. What a difference. Do you remember the vibe? I'm looking at this box score right around now. that team and around that time of the year. It is remarkable. It is the most remarkable Canucks start to the season that I remember. And I hope the ending is just as remarkable because this has been fantastic to cover. Fantastic to cover. Well, they hit the midway point tonight. Enjoy game 41. It's the Canucks and Isles tonight. uh, 4.30 right here. You can hear it on Sportsnet 650. We got to go. Signing off on behalf of Jason Bruff, A-Dog, Laddie, and intern Sonia. This has been the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. You're making a very rash decision, and I won't let you do that.